Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, a cover genius company. Fresh off a great visit to Sydney, Australia and Parramatta for the Ticketing Professionals Conference. Check them out at Intix in Seattle. True fact, I was born in Bremerton, right across the Puget Sound from Seattle. So I'm certain that you'll see me there as well. Uh, my guest today, coming back for round three, is my friend Simon Severino, the CEO of Strategy Sprints. I wanted to have Simon on today to talk about uh, the, how you can plan for 2023, how you can deal with uh, strategy at a challenging time, and just to catch up, because I like to talk to Simon. Uh, before we get to my conversation with Simon, I want to remind you to check out the Talking Tickets newsletter. That's at talkingtickets.substack.com, my weekly ticket newsletter. Uh Five big points, uh, some numbers, some images, uh, all kinds of great stuff. I keep playing with it to get, make sure that it's valuable, fast to read, uh, and most of all, actionable. So check it out. Check out my website, DaveWakeman.com. I'm going to start rolling out some brand new stuff for next year. Um, I'm going to see if I can do some virtual stuff. I'm going to probably ha even have a few free webinars for the uh, period between now and the end of 2023. Uh, just planning this week, right? This week and the next for Thanksgiving to figure out what in the world I want to do. I was super busy and haven't had a chance. So back to Simon, Simon Severino. He is the CEO of Strategy Sprints. Strategysprints.com is his website. Uh, we talked about uh, 2023, planning ahead. We talked about the uh, need for feedback and a feedback loop so you can understand if you're making progress or not. Uh, Simon shares some really great resources that you can download off of his website. Uh, all you can do is like go right to the thing and sign up. There's not like a big process or anything. It's great. Um, you know, we talked about... Uh, what me measurements matter, uh, planning, all kinds of great stuff that if you are in tickets, it matters, or if you just want to listen to Simon, it matters. This is, a, again, another really actionable and valuable conversation between me and Simon Severino on the Business of Fun podcast. All right. I want to welcome back for the third time, Simon Severino to the Business of Fun podcast. Simon, what's up, man? Hey Dave, good to be here again. Hello everybody. Yeah, this is good. We've um, we've had our uh, uh, you know because we've talked about this every time, so we'll just go ahead and get this out of the front at the start. Our crypto uh, wallets have gone up, and now they've gone down, and uh, now they've kind of uh, stabilized for a little bit of time. Uh, so I know that you always ask me how mine is doing, and mine is uh, not as good as it was, but it's not like completely in the dirt. Uh, you know, so like that's a random crypto update. Uh, but how are things going on your end? I'm learning every day and refining my systems because something's totally imploded. I lost a ton of money on Luna. I'm red on Bitcoin right now. Um, and then other things have absolutely done very, very well. I've learned to swing trade. I've learned to come up with different tactics for different cycles. So I'm I'm learning on this journey of being a relatively new investor. I'm learning about being an investor every week and I make it a system. So I improve the exit points, the the entry points, how I rebalance, how often I rebalance. Like everything else, it becomes a practice. It becomes a system and it gets better month after month. So right now I'm using the bear cycle. I'm mainly buying, 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 accumulating and preparing for when the next cycle goes up. Yeah, 
I like this idea that your system should improve as you go, because one of I, I read a book, right? And it's called A New Way of Thinking by Roger L. Martin, who I am going to try to get on the podcast very soon. Uh, but, but it's a great book. And he talks about how models, right, are like the way that we run our businesses, the way we run our lives and how when you see a industry or a business or just things that are struggling or in decline, it's usually because they're far too wed to the the model and the, your, in, to use your term, system, the way it always has been. And, you know, the way you just phrased it is well, like my system is improving each step of the way. I think it's a very valuable lesson for people to keep in mind as we have our conversation today. Because what I wanted to have you on to talk about was we're recording this at the end of October of 2022. So we're like midway in the fourth quarter. People's attention will start turning to the holidays soon. Uh, they'll start thinking about 2023. Um, so I wanted to have you on to talk about how to plan for 2023, how to market, sell, brand, create strategy in turbulent times and downturns. And we'll probably, um, maybe we'll get a chance to uh, highlight some of the examples from your uh, great book, Strategy Sprints, uh, that I had a chance to read frequently and wanted to have you on to talk about as well. Um, and I think everything comes through that. So um, let me begin by asking you, um, as we head into the last, you know, eight or nine weeks of the year, um, what are you tell, telling people as far as planning for 2023, especially understanding that the environment we're entering is go probably going to have some turbulence, right? You're in Europe. Um, you're dealing with the impacts of the uh, Russian aggression against the Ukraine, and that's causing uh, inflation and causing uh, rising ga uh, energy prices. Um, it's damaging already fragile um, supply chains, you know, so, uh, but I think the, like some of these things are problems around the world. How should people be approaching their um, thinking about planning for 2023? It will be a very interesting quarter and all bets are off. So scenario planning is a very good idea to have a base case and some less probable cases and to prepare for the one that you see coming but also to pick the strategy that fits all the three both your base case and your less probable cases so so what's the best strategy the one strategy that fits all three cases and um, how do you do that practically practically there is one core process and then there are different projects that come and go. The core process will be vital. So the first thing is in a recession, you have to change your offer. You have to adapt your offer. You cannot sell as usual. You need to focus on the vital parts. It's not the nice to have parts. It's the vital parts that you need to focus on and always from your client's perspective. So double check your offer if it's really vital. What are the vital ones? It's time and money. And if you're a tech company, then probably your software, your hardware is delivering time for them because you save them time by doing stuff. That's what technology does. And or if you are on a consulting side, you might help reduce costs or might, you might help increase sales. Those are the vitals. So if you can update your offer and refine it so that you really 
capture the vital concerns of the people you are here to serve. So double check, how is their life changing? How are their, their needs changing? And do we still have a fit or do we have to tweak and refine around the vitals? That's the first thing to do. And then you concentrate on your process because whatever happens, your process is always the same. Like we discussed in the beginning, bear market, bull market, the process is always the same. And what is the process? The process is the core value creation. So the process is how you create awareness, interest, engagement, how you close, deliver, and retain. That's your core process made of a few elements. So you think about the element, how do you create awareness? That would be probably something around social media. Um, and so you pick those that work best and that's and you start systemizing them, writing down, creating an SOP, delegating it to a software or to a person. So you make it impeccable. You make you put in self-correcting loops, self-healing loops. This is something that we know from systems theory and from, from management consulting how to build. And so you systemize that so that it works, whatever the weather, whatever the person doing it. And so now this business is less dependent on good weather, is less dependent on talent, is less dependent on you, the founder, is less dependent on any single variable. And now you have increased the resilience of the core process. The rest are then projects because these six elements they will have a bottleneck. One of these parts will be the weakest part at each moment in time. We call it a bottleneck. Now, a project is a dedicated two, three weeks of solving that bottleneck. For example, we're not getting enough people completing our quiz. That's what I heard today from an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have these amazing quiz funnels, but today I had zero people completing the quiz. So the bottleneck is the awareness stage mm -hmm. when they when they enter your funnel so if that is the bottleneck you can start a project around that in our world that's a weekly project but you can say all right this will take three weeks six weeks whatever your project cycles are to run experiments and uh, roger martin would say you write down your assumptions your heuristics and see which one are true and which one are not. So yeah. And when you found that, then it's an algorithm. But before that, it's a heuristic. Sometimes if I do this, this happens. That's a heuristic. But later on, you find out what really works. Every time I do this, this happens. That's an algorithm. Then you are done. Then you can move to the next part and improve the next part. It's a project. But the underlying process, that's the core. And so if you ask me how to prepare for 2023, focus on your core. The core must be around the vitals, must be very resilient, must be weather independent and people independent. Must be, we call it a self-correcting, self-healing growth machine. If you do that, that's enough. That should be your first quarter. 
And in the second quarter, you can pick specific projects to optimize bottlenecks. Yeah, I like the way that you broke it down so simply. And I have a couple follow-up questions. The first one is you use the acronym SOP. And I want to make sure we define that for people so everybody understands what it means because somebody might not be understand it. So how do you define it? Yeah, an SOP, Standard Operating Procedure, it's just you write down how you do stuff. So, for example, you publish a video on YouTube, and now you want somebody else to publish a video on YouTube. This is the core of the Strategy Sprints method. One person starts finding a path, finding a solution, but then you quickly write it down and you hand it over. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you have solved the problem, now you should hand it over and move, move to the next bigger problem, to the next lever. So let's say you have found out how to do YouTube videos that convert. Now you write it down. And the SOP is somewhere in a Google Doc, or we use Notion for SOPs. You write down, okay, step one, title definition. And then you write down how you find the title. You go into the browser incognito mode. You go to YouTube, put the first word of the topic, and then see what people are looking for, that's how you pick the title. Then how do you create the thumbnail? Your face, open mouth, uh, flames behind you. And then, okay, how do you, which text to use, et cetera. So you write down the 10 to 20 steps that it takes to publish a YouTube video. Now you have created an SOP. This one you will hand over to somebody and you move on to the next biggest problem to solve. For example, how to find a big affiliate partner to promote your YouTube videos. When you've solved that, you move on to the next. How can I create a certification or a franchise out of my business? And when you've solved that, you move on to the next bigger. So you always move on to the next lever. Checklists, right? I mean, that's the, at the ultimate, it's just a, you're creating a checklist so that like, Yes. You take you take randomness out of the, out of the process. Yes. Checklist is one form of a system. SOP is one form of a system. These are wonderful methods. There are nine ways of systemizing and these are wonderful methods to really systemize your business. You write down what it is, you hand it over and now it's less people dependent. You can move on and and they can start also uh, hiring people to support it and to scale that. So you have people who solve problems. Those are usually the entrepreneurs, the founders. They solve problems. Then they write it down, hand it over to people who are more manager type of people. They run things. But the entrepreneur is not here to run things. Otherwise, right. they would be employed somewhere. We are here to create something out of nothing. That's our force of nature. And then we move on and move, we move on. And we we hand over what already works and move on to the next bigger problem. Yeah, no, that, that completely makes sense to me. The second question I wanted to ask you was about this idea of going back to uh, changing your offer and finding out the vital parts. What I see when I look around is because of the the economic environment we've been in over the last probably better part of a decade. Um, it's been easy for people's uh, offer and like their value proposition, uh, even their marketing, their sales efforts to kind of sprawl, right? Because there has been 
um, a lot of money. The um, pretty much the global economy has been expansionary. Um, people haven't had to um, be as tight with their, you know, when creating their offerings. So when you're talking about like revisit your 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 offer now as we head into like a, a heavy disruption, potentially a recession around the world. Um, to me, that sounds like you want people to tighten up their offer. Uh, am I mishearing you or is that is that right? You know, it's like uh, because it's like it's been easy to throw things in. And I like to tell people when I'm talking to them about marketing, I go, great marketers kill. Um, bad marketers create and good marketers kill. And that means that, like, you know, it's easy to create a product, but it's tough to kill one. Am I, am I hearing you correctly? And and if so, you know, how do people identify that one thing or that two those two things? And it's never more than three, you know, in, in my experience that, you know, that that helps them uh, stand out. Because that's really what this comes out, down to in a, uh, a challenging period is like going, you have to stand out and be. Um, differentiated relative to all the other options because there's so many alternatives and people are going to be desperate to win people's business. Yes, every time the life of our clients change, our offer has to change with it. So every time the people you are here to serve need something else because their life is changing, we have to reprioritize around that. And we have to double check, is our offer still what they need? And is it delivered the way that is helpful? So right now, the life is changing so abruptly. As you say, 10 years of prosperity and now global disruption. Some of them didn't see it coming. They are totally surprised. Some mm -hmm. of them were a little bit more prepared. They did more seeing around the corner and preparing. Um, but some of them are totally surprised right now and are having a tough time. So, and some of them are in survival mode. So whoever the people are that you are here to serve, now it's really a time to talk to them and say, hey, how are you doing? And what do you need right now? With the openness that if you hear your offer needs to change, that you really go back and refine it. The second question was, how simple can we make it? And I am totally with you, eliminate to the max. So in the book that you just read, in Strategy Sprints, the Strategy Sprint is a 90 days program that is so simple to sell because it's just, we double your revenue in 90 days. Mm -hmm. So many consultants, coaches, advisors, agencies in the sprint program, they have convoluted offers. They have, they have seven different prices. I get confused when they tell me all these different prices and all these different offers. And you have to make it simple for people. So what does Dave stand for? What does Simon stand for? Make it so simple that everybody and their mom can send somebody to Dave, can send somebody to Simon. Oh, you have to call Dave because, oh, because of this. Oh, yeah. oh, that topic, call Simon. He's the sales guy, call Simon. Yeah. Make it simple. So double your revenue in 90 days makes a very complex process 
of change management, innovation, operational excellence, sales workflow optimization, etc. All these very complex things, it makes it so simple that a 12-year-old can tell it somebody. Yes. And I want to tell I want to say this while Simon's here, because you're gonna people are gonna listen, they're gonna go, oh, double in sales in 90 days got has to be complete and total BS. And it's not because I've done this exact same thing, and I can vouch for the way that Simon runs uh, the sprints. We just do it in different ways. But the thing is, is like if you clarify what your business processes are, most of the time there's so much slack and so much opportunity to double your business that like Simon's probably underselling it when he says like you know his his call, his tagline is double your sales because I've seen sales triple. I, you know, I've been a part of tripling sales in 90 days. And it's simply because just what Simon's talking about, the SOPs and understanding how to simplify the offer and make it so obvious, right? Um, and Simon's a sales guy and I'm more of a marketing guy, but with sales, it's and this is the question now, with sales, there's a lot of um, looseness in the way that things are measured. Um, at least in my experience, when I work with sales teams, and I, I, I don't do it a lot because it's not really like a core skill of mine. Um, but, you know, how do you help in a, in a period like we're facing a sales team kind of tighten up the way that they're running through their sales process? Because there's usually a lot of, um, I guess, if you read like a lot of sales thinkers, they'll tell you it's, you know, the selling time that salespeople are taking, you know, if you're, you're lucky, if you're getting an hour a day out of them, you know, how do you help people systemize that? Because I think that's very important now because um, people are, ha- they're struggling to get meetings to make sales. They're um, struggling to meet their numbers, right? And it's only going to be more difficult as we head through into whatever this next phase is. So how do, how do, you, how do you approach that? As my resident sales, sales guy. Sales is my favorite part. And it's funny because everybody hates that, right? Oh, my God, the sales. Oh, it's lazy. That's the part that I love so much. And for us, it's just play, playful and, and value pure value, pure value, because you you have the full attention, right? When you're talking sales, when you're talking profits, when you're talking revenues, everybody, the, the whole executive team has has your attention. They, the, if you say, hey, this takes three days more before we find this route, they go, all right, let's take three days more here, Simon, no worries. And how are we tackling it right now? So we go through the offer. We have 90 days. Uh, in the beginning, we check the offer and we simplify it a little bit, like you said, by elimination. Okay, let's make it simpler. Let's make it easier to refer. And let's make it an offer that converts. How do we see that it converts? Weekly numbers. So we install the Sprint Dashboard. Sprint Dashboard tells us the one marketing number of that week, the one sales number of that week, and the one operations number of that week that needs to be known because it's telling us if things are working and which things are working. There will be a dashboard and the whole team looks for the next 12 weeks at just one weekly marketing number, one weekly sales number, one weekly ops number. That alone changes a lot. Because can now I, can I jump we in have and a reshift. Sure. Yeah. Can you give people examples of what like a sales or marketing and operations number would be? I mean, I think I know, yeah. but I, would, I think maybe other people might not. Yeah, sure. So right now, 
we work only with B2B businesses, so agencies, consultancies, B2B SaaS. So many marketing numbers that I see in sprint dashboards this week are number of opt-ins per week, number of trials. So if it's a software, number of trials, people who opted in for a free trial of your software. Mm -hmm. If it's a consultancy, I see number of podcast gigs that they had being on other people's podcasts per week. That's what they measure. Other people measure engagement in terms of how many people downloaded something from our website. Many of our clients use quiz audits, uh, quiz funnels, where they have an audit at the beginning. And so they measure, and we do also, by the way. And so those people measure on the marketing side, how many completed audits this week. And by completed, we mean they went through the end, they left their phone number and email, and before they go, that's one completion. So those are examples of the marketing number. Mm -hmm. Examples of the sales number, that's straightforward, number of sales per week. (laughs) 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 That's easy. Number of discovery calls, number of dollar closed. That's it. In sales, there is just closed or not closed deal, and there is number of follow-ups. And and if you want to be fancy, conversion rate. Then we go to operations. In operations, it can be number of client referrals. So clients who gave you a referral, an introduction to somebody else. I'm so happy with this service. Uh, Maria should know about this. Can I connect you? And that's a client referral. So we would say, okay, five or six or three this week. Another can be the NPS, the Net Promoter Score. So when you ask from one to 10, how likely is it that you refer? So that's basically how happy the client is. Mm -hmm. And if you are a subscription-based business in this ops category, you want to have something about your cohort or churn rate. So how many people are you losing from your current cohort that can be per month or per half a year or per year when people opt out of your subscription? So Netflix measures number of subscribers, for example. How many people stopped their subscription um, this week? And so you measure how many people leave uh, the subscription. Mm -hmm. These are examples of a sprint dashboard. And so you look at this, Every Thursday, you collect the numbers on Friday. So for most most of the teams that work with us on Thursday, they have a VA collecting all these numbers. And then on Friday, they come together as a full team, have immediately an overview of what's working and of what's not working. So now you know of all the activities which are working for us. And then you look at that and say, "Mm, why is there a plus 0.8% click rate on our emails, for example. Mm -hmm. And now somebody might say, well, let's let's double check. To the four weeks moving average of, uh, is that a lot or is it a nothing burger? Oh, well, that's Mm -hmm. a lot. It's a spike. Okay, so what is it? Is it a person on our team, a process on our team? Is it a specific thing that we did? in that week, mm-hmm. what is it? And so you wanna learn from the deviations, both negative and positive, because this is telling you your reality. And so most teams don't have such a sprint board, sprint dashboard. They are flying blind. 
Yeah. They don't they don't take decisions based on their reality. They're yeah. taking decisions based on narratives. This is what what the industry is doing. Uh-huh. The industry, what is the industry? Come on. So you don't know your reality. Let's be honest. And and sometimes I understand them because creating KPI dashboards can be cumbersome. That's why we have them ready for our clients and we help them pick the numbers in week one and we install it with them and make it very easy. So it's a jump start. And then you just put half an hour of your VA per week on Thursday to, to put in the numbers and to double check the numbers. And on Friday, the team has half an hour to review them. Mm-hmm. But it's mainly a discussion. So why do we think that this works better this week? Why is this spike happening now? Yep. Yeah. That's no, the screen dashboard. Yeah, no, this is, I mean, this is takes makes total sense. And I think, you know, NPS is something I talk about and the marketing and sales numbers might be uh, easy for people to understand. But the operational one, I think people might have gotten jammed up on because, again, like you said, it, it you'll hear it come out as like, well, everybody's doing this or everybody's doing that. And then the other one I hate is when they say, oh, well, um, the average across the industry or the average here. And I go, average tells you absolutely nothing. Average is one of the dumbest numbers that I think you can use because if um, if Bill, if Elon Musk, he's the richest man, if the Elon Musk was in my living room right now uh, and he was sitting over, actually you see him, he's sitting over the shoulder here. So the average uh, net worth in my in my house right now is $125 billion. It's, it's incredible. I am freaking rich. Uh, that's what average is. You know, it, it's meaningless. And, and I like to focus on specificity because if it's specific, it means that you can understand your world. Not the whole world, because the rest of the world often doesn't matter. It's your world, because you can be doing much better than average, or you could be doing much worse. But if you look at like where average is, then it can be confusing for you, right? Because you can be like, you can feel like you're not making any progress if you're below average. But in reality, your numbers have improved tremendously over the last couple of weeks. Or you could be like, take your foot off the gas because you're doing so much better than average. And the reason the average is so low is because everybody else is doing such a bad job. And so you needlessly pull back on your business because, hey, everybody else is, do, you know, doing 20 percent of what I'm doing. So I'm, you know, I'm totally lapping everybody. And that's just. It's it's garbage. So let me shift this up a little bit because and, and, and we'll take all of this stuff that we've talked about so far. And I want to look at it through the angle of. um smaller um, businesses and challenger brands because my working hypothesis and what I've seen play out for people over the years is um, that about 90 to 95% of strategy and sales and marketing, branding, all of that stuff, it applies equally to big businesses, medium-sized businesses, small businesses, uh, nonprofits, uh, it doesn't matter. There's a small percentage of activities and actions that um, a smaller challenger brand should do differently than a bigger established brand. Um, first off, am I completely wrong? And am I like putting my thumb on the scale so that like I have confirmation bias? Uh, number one. And then number two is like, in your experience, how do you tell people to approach this when they're a smaller business or they're competing against a lot of big competition? 
since you are somebody that looks at the evergreen topics, those evergreen topics, they are really very, very similar also for the small companies. There are a couple tweaks that I propose for micro companies. Let's say everything below 50K per month, being it revenue or MRR, everything below 50K per month, let's call it a micro company. And that, I, I propose a couple tweaks there because there is a difference between you and Coca-Cola in what you should mm -hmm. spend for marketing, for sales, for operations, both in, in the cash flow management, but also in terms of your attention. Your attention is limited. You have limited resources. So how can we wisely uh, allocate them? The first thing is the daily flow. I, I do every day the daily flow. People can download it on our website for free. It's open source. It's I write down how am I allocating my time? Because if I'm below 50K, that means I'm I have max five people on my team. Maybe I'm a solopreneur. Maybe it's me and my wife. Maybe me, my wife, and three friends, right? So it's a very small team. So we have to be very wise in how we allocate our time. And the, the daily flow tells me, all right, I did allocate my time this way. And then it asks me, hey, which one of those tasks will you delegate tomorrow? And so my checklist is which one gave me energy or took energy away from me and which one did move the whole business forward versus just moved projects forward or parts of the business forward. And so if you find that something is not giving you energy and not moving the whole business forward, that's the next to delegate. And this is where you start writing your SOP, your standard operating procedure. You write it down, you delegate it to a software or to a person. And there is a huge amount of software, very, very affordable, some even free, that can take tasks from you. We use, I think, 25 different softwares that do our work, and it's amazing. They never go on holidays. They are always at peak state. It's amazing. It's amazing. They never have COVID. It's wonderful. <laughs> so <laughs> we rely on them. We love them. <laughs> and, and then there is specific things around costs. You want to be resilient. And this is something I have learned this from Jay Abraham, the legendary Jay Abraham on which shoulders uh, many of us strategy advisors stand. And he said already 20 years ago, People change your contracts from time-based to performance-based. He always said that to everybody. Not everybody was listening to him and not everybody's listening to me today. But I keep repeating it. And now in the recession, they might listen a little bit more. Because you want, when you have zero work, you want to have zero costs. And when you have more work, you want to have more costs. So the only resilient way to have contracts with your employees, with your suppliers, with your agencies, PR agencies, marketing agencies, whatever people you have working around you in your ecosystem. Like, for example, giving a PR agency 5K per month to 
do PR is not a good contract. But to say I want to be in the Wall Street Journal, I give you 3K for that. I want to be in the New York Times, I give you 27K for that. That's a good contract because if it doesn't happen, you have zero costs. And if it happens, then you have achieved exactly what you wanted to achieve. And there is a reason why it's on your map. It makes sense for your growth. Otherwise, it wouldn't be on that map. So you have at least you have reduced the risk of paying for something that doesn't happen. Same thing for materials. If you are material heavy, if you rely on getting wood from uh, from uh, some some areas and in that area, you will not get that material. You don't want to pay for that. So all contracts you can re renegotiate to be around results so that when there is zero results, you pay zero. For example, I have somebody doing Facebook ads for us. And of course, I told them you get 15% of all sales. That's your commission. And he said, wonderful, that's a lot of money. <laughs> so people who are competent, they will say, yes, let's go. I see the 15%. I can do millions this year with you guys. If somebody is not competent, they go, oh, there is no base salary. Oh, no, 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 no. That's no, no, no. I don't have the confidence that I can do this. So I, I want the full contract, no risk on my side, all risk on your side. Well, nice try. Will not work with people who are looking for resilient structures. So you can turn all your fixed costs into variable costs because you want in a month where you have less work to pay less. And in a month where there is more, everybody wins and everybody gets more commission. Yeah, that I mean, the, the changing of your um, the structures of your costs, that's that, that is a big key because um, I see like this huge challenge for people. They get tied into these long term contracts and they can't get out of them. And then one bad month and it's like the whole thing falls down. Um, you know, I, I was like, I think my uh, this operation runs on the hundred dollar website and like uh, a Lisbon subscription and my Microsoft Teams uh, unless I need it and then I pay for it. So, yeah, that's ex <laughs> that's exactly right. This but it, resilience comes in, in being able to control as much as you can control. Um, and, and I think that that's very important now. It's like you have to look at everything and you would hope that people were operating much more um, leanly and cleanly and being um i think the, the way i'd put it would be just conscious of the need to um toss out the way things have always been you know even before we've hit this kind of recessionary period because the pandemic should have uh exhausted all of those excuses um for almost everybody because um if you didn't see that like everything was fragile at that point then i don't know what you were paying attention to um let me ask you one more final question and i should point everybody to strategysprints.com because there is a section called um tools and there are like really really great tools there um but as we're kind of wrapping up here is um so we talked about dealing with um, turbulence and recessionary periods we've talked about processes we've talked about uh how you can find these examples in your book um 
you know, what two or three things are you and your business focusing on heading into the new year? You know, like where are the opportunities that you're looking at or what are the trends that you're paying attention to? We are experimenting right now with the scepter system, the closer system, and I am getting ready to buy competitors. So first part, scepter's system. How Whatever your sales looks like, Mm-hmm. Probably there is a first part and a second part. The first part is, hey, people, here we are. Hey, this is what we can do for you. Hey, can I show you around? We call this the setters. So we divide our team in setters and closers. Setters have the job of going to strangers, saying, hey, hello, uh, look at us. This is where we can bring you. I see you. You have this problem. Oh, I had it also. Can I walk you around how we solve this? And then they get people on our calendar. When when they get people on the calendar, their job is done. And now the job of the closer starts. Discovery call, demo call. Discovery call, help them make their best decision, whatever their decision is. Demo call, if we offer one, this is where we close the deal. That's the setter system and the closer system. And in the setter system, in preparing for the recession, we are developing multiple stacks of revenue streams because we were super lean and had just one core process. But now we are adding multiple organic, inorganic, paid traffic. For the first time, we're starting Facebook ads and uh, we never had that, but we're having fun and we want to have multiple revenue streams. So whatever happens next year, you know, wars, no wars, nobody knows. But we are preparing to have seven uh, revenue streams coming in so that if three breaks, we still have four. That's the rough picture. And so we are playing around with cold emails, paid ads, all stuff that we were never doing. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, and you know what's fun? When when we do something for the first time, it's beginner's mind. Everything is interesting. You know, I started reading books. I, I get own coaches and experts who coach my team and coach me. So we are learning from scratch, which is fun. Same thing in the closer system. This is this is where, where we are very good, uh, but still we are onboarding more closers from different time zones mm-hmm. and I have to teach them and it's different in every area. And, and so that's teaming and onboarding topics. And the third one, we're getting ready to buy competitors because there will be opportunities next year and I want to be ready if they pop up. So there will be opportunity to buy suppliers, to buy agencies that we are working with, to buy direct competitors that have email lists that I want to have and that that I can get for for, at a discount for magazines, everything around go-to-market assets that I can buy. Like if somebody has a list of 50,000 agency owners because they were doing services for agency owners. And that can be a strategic important asset for us. Then I am ready to catch these opportunities if they pop up. These are the main three things. No, that's awesome. All right, so Simon, where can people find more about you on the internet? They should know by now, but let's let's tell them again. A repetition. Strategy sprints. If you put strategy sprints in the internet, we pop up. 
if you put Simon Severino onto the internet, we pop up, we dominate page one of Google. And the specific page is strategiesprints.com and the book on Amazon is Strategy Sprints. So much Simon. to reducing, reducing, right? Yeah, well, very much brand consistent. You have a definitely strong brand equity in Strategy Sprints. There's no one doubt product, about it. One product, the Strategy Sprint. One book, Strategy Sprints. One page, strategiesprints.com. Yes, that's one right. One YouTube channel, Strategy Sprints. Yes, you can't uh, you can't tell me that if you don't say strategy sprints that you do not know who you're talking about. <laughs> well, thank you for doing this, man. Thank you, Dave. Keep rolling, everybody. Let me know what you thought about my conversation with Simon Severino by sending me an email. It is my name, David DaveWakeman.com. You can also check me out on my website. It's www.davewakeman.com. Check out the Talking Tickets newsletter. That's talkingtickets.substack.com and get my weekly update about all things ticketing. Uh, we have focused on numbers and ideas, uh, actionable things that you can put to use right away. So check it out, talkingtickets.substack.com. Make sure you hook up with my friends at Booking Protect, a cover genius company. Uh, fresh off their trip to Australia, I heard it was a blast. I am jealous that I missed it. Uh, they will be in Intix in Seattle in January. Um, my hometown, really, sort of, where I was born. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, some great, conf- uh, some great events planned. Some great um, sessions that will be offered. I'm going to see if I can put together one or two things for the conference as well. So we'll see how we're doing. Okay. Uh, but check it out. Intix.org. Uh, uh, check out Booking Protect at BookingProtect.com. Uh, as always, I want to thank you so much for listening. Uh, the podcast continues to chug right along. Uh, people still uh, listen and engage. Um, if you like the podcast, share it with somebody. Uh, rate it. Review it. Uh, all that good stuff. It helps a lot. Um, and I want to thank you for listening. I will talk to you all again soon, so take it easy.